Well, steak and chips, uh, strawberries and cream, Frodo and Sam. Uh, some things in life, they just uh, seem to belong together, don't you? It's kind of impossible to imagine one without the other. And I think this morning, as we look at Sam 126, it's different. This Sam is full of things that you and I don't normally put together. In this song, as we look at it, there is laughter, there's longing, there's triumph, there's tears, there's praise, and there's pain. And such apparent contradictions are normal for Christian believers. When the Apostle Paul describes his whole ministry, he said he was sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. That's the tone of this psalm. It's a song that introduces us to the tension in the Christian life. It's a song that you and I can sing when life is good and life is bad. It's a song we can sing in the the major key and the minor key at exactly the same time. And so as we begin, I want you to picture the six foot six, 18 stone rugby player belting out the national anthem, uh, full of pride, tears streaming down his face. That is what this psalm feels like. And as you look at it, you might see, as we saw at the beginning, that it's called one of the Psalms of Ascent. And that makes it one of a really special collection of Psalms that were sung as the Israelites uh, made their way to Jerusalem. It was a journey that they made several times a year. Now, lots of families um, have uh, favorite songs for the road. Um, In the good old days when we had CDs or cassettes, uh, they would jump or the tape would get all tangled, wouldn't it, um, if we listened to them too many times. God's people were exactly the same. These Psalms, Psalm 120 to 134, they were, they were always on repeat for God's people. God's people never stopped listening to this album of 15 songs. They're pilgrim songs. They remind you and I that being a Christian, it's a journey a difficult journey. Uh, one writer has called this collection of Psalms, he said they're like an old dog-eared songbook that Christians keep rediscovering. And so this morning, as we turn and look at this Psalm, you, you might have been a Christian for a long time. You might have just started as a Christian. You might be looking from the outside. But whoever you are this morning, I think this song is for you. I want us to learn to to sing it together today. And as we look at it, I've just got two points. The first is this, verses one to three, the rescue Christians celebrate. The rescue Christians celebrate. The psalm, it begins with a real note of joyful praise, doesn't it? The writer looks back to a time when God's people experienced his rescue in a dramatic a powerful, a wonderful way. Look what he says. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. So this was an experience that almost seemed too good to be true. They, They could hardly believe what was happening to them. God's rescue, it made them feel like they were kind of walking on air. 
it left them in a kind of trance-like state. Now, it's not 100% clear what event the psalmist is referring to. It might have been the Exodus, and that great deliverance from slavery. It might have been the return home from exile, God's people finally back in the land again. It may have been some other dramatic victory, and yet in one sense, it doesn't really matter, does it? Whatever it was, it had had this great effect on God's people. And just look at the way it impacted their emotions. This big rescue, it resulted in laughter and singing and joy. There was celebration. Their chains fell off. Their hearts were free. They'd, they'd lived with huge burdens on their backs. But now those burdens had been lifted. And they were so happy. They, they felt their hearts were just about to explode. Uh, you and I, we've, in St. Peter's, we've started uh, reciting the Apostles' Creed again, um, usually when we have communion together. And uh, one of my very best friends, he goes to a church that recites the Apostles' Creed every week. And he says there's a line in the Apostles' Creed that whenever he hears it, it makes his heart kind of skip a beat. When he says, when he says, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. He said to me that when he says that every week with his brothers and sisters, it makes him want to punch the air. Because it reminds him that God is gracious. It reminds him that however much he slipped or stumbled over the past week, his sin has been paid for. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Jesus died for him. It fills him with joy. And God's people, they often feel like that. God's people know what it's like to feel relief. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. That's why they sing. God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness, says Paul. He's brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have that this morning as Christians. And so many of the stories that uh, you and I love, so many of the books, the films that we appreciate, they have kind of echoes of this rescue. Think of uh, Jean Valjean and Les Mis. Think of Andy Dufresne and the Shawshank Redemption. The reason we love those films, the reason we love those books is because rescue like that, it is beautiful. And to see somebody experience deliverance, it's one of the most wonderful things in the world. When miners who are trapped escape, when hostages are freed, when children are pulled from the rubble, when we see that, when we experience that, we want to talk about that. We want to share that with others, don't we? And it's the same with this psalm. The restoration of God's people was not some little private spiritual event. Look at verse 2. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. 
See, it wasn't enough for Israel to experience this rescue on their own. It had a kind of, what could we call it, a Christmas feel. Good news of great joy for all people. Friends, Christians are people who who celebrate what God has done. Christians are not afraid of a little emotion. Sometimes we can think the Christian life is all about uh, thinking, truth, that really matters, doesn't it? But feelings matter as well. God wants this morning to win our hearts and our minds. Now, this does not mean that uh, you and I, we all need to become kind of extroverts or Italians or Greeks. But a stuffy, buttoned up, religion, well, it's a million miles away from real Christianity, isn't it? Um, There was a a really famous journalist, H.L. Mencken, kind of critic, uh, interesting guy. He he once said, there is a kind of uh, super religious person, here's how he put it, whose greatest, most haunting fear is that someone somewhere is enjoying themselves. And it can never be so with us as Christians. The Bible is a story of God's love for his bride. The Bible is a story of a father who runs after a son who sinned, a prodigal, who kills the fattened calf, who puts a ring on his finger, a cloak around his neck, who says, let's have a party. And so Christians are joyful. They are attractive people. Christians love to remember God's rescue. They know from personal experience that Jesus, their Savior, He has been really good to them. They have a kind of, I can hardly believe I'm a Christian kind of attitude. They are stunned that Jesus would love them, that Jesus is waiting for them, that Jesus gave Himself for them. They have a I, how can it be kind of attitude. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me? See, it's so easy to forget, isn't it? It's so easy to become negative, to become cynical over time. What has happened to all your joy? That's what Paul asked the Galatians. It's so easy to lose, isn't it? And so maybe this morning you're someone who's got so used to disappointment. Maybe this morning you're somebody who has been let down so many times in life that you have believed the lie that somehow life with God will end like that as well. Maybe you've been beaten up by painful circumstances. Maybe you're just really conscious of failure as a Christian. You have blown it this week. Well, remember God's grace this morning. Is your heart shrinking this morning? Have you forgotten that the Bible ends with the ultimate happily ever after? The Bible ends with a day of glory that that will almost be impossible for us to take in. Christians are people who have more reason to laugh and sing 
than anyone else in the world. They glory in God's rescue. They love Him for His cross. Joy is the serious business of heaven, somebody once said. Joy in God, joy in His goodness, His faithfulness, His love, the rescue Christians celebrate. But there's a second thing. Verses 4 to 6, we see the renewal Christians need, the rescue Christians celebrate. The second thing, the renewal Christians need, verses 4 to 6. Now, as we look at these uh, verses, let me say it's been a little while since I've given you an American presidential illustration. I have been restraining myself. And when I first looked at this passage, there was one little phrase from uh, Lincoln's uh, Gettysburg Address that I thought about. And um, if you know the history, um, he gave that speech when America was in the middle of the Civil War. America was tearing itself apart. And Lincoln said what they needed was a new birth of freedom. A new birth of freedom. And I think our psalmist, he could relate to that. Look at his cry in verse 4, restore our fortunes, O Lord. One translation puts it like this, now God, do it again. Do it again. Bring rain to our drought-stricken lives. Do it again. That is this psalm in three words. Because this psalmist, he knew what it was like to long for God's renewal, even after he had experienced God's rescue. He was a real believer. He was a person who had so much to give thanks for, and yet there was still this great tension in his life. And so he prays that God would restore his fortunes, the fortunes of his people. Isn't this just so true to life? It's so true to real Christian experience, isn't it? Great moments of deliverance, they are so often followed in the Christian life by times of real difficulty. Even after God has taken us out of the pit, even after God has put a new song in our mouth, there can be all kinds of problems to face as we move forward. Even when my sins have been forgiven, my citizenship is in heaven, well, life can still feel impossible. And I don't know how I'm going to get through today, let alone tomorrow. Have you ever felt like that? Our Samus, he would understand that feeling. Now, this was true after the return from exile. God's people, they came back to the land. But the, the, if you read Haggai, it makes it really clear that there was kind of real apathy, real indifference among the Israelites. There was everything with God felt low-key. And every new Christian experiences this. After the honeymoon period, they discover, don't they? All of us who are Christians in this room know this. They discover that their new relationship with Jesus, it does not mean that they are free from trouble. They have not been teleported to the new creation. If you're thinking about following Jesus, you need to know that. You need to listen to this, Sam. Every Christian in this room would tell you that life with Jesus is happy, it's wonderful, 
And yet sometimes it can be so, so hard. Because there's so much in life, isn't there? So much in our experience, there's so much sin still in us that makes us feel so weak, so fearful. Sometimes our lives, our Christian lives, they can feel like a desert rather than a garden. And so often you and I, we just long for renewal. And that longing, feeling that way, is evidence that you are a real Christian. Notice that longing. It's not just personal, is it? It's plural. It's not just about me. It's about all of us. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. One of the signs we're converted is that we start to care about the fortunes of Zion. Bible language, Zion, it's, it's shorthand for the people of God. After we've trusted in Jesus, the state of his people, the state of his church, it becomes important to us. We find ourselves praying about things we've never have prayed about before. We don't just want restoration for us. No, we long for the restoration of God's people. And the psalmist, he helps us this morning. He gives us two pictures to show us what this restoration, this renewal really looks like. He says, he talks about streams and he talks about sheaves. And the commentators, they they tell us one of these things is quick and one of these things is slow. In the Negev, it was a a huge desert with uh, ditches cut into the ground most of the year that the soil was baked by the sun. But sometimes a sudden rainfall, it, it could make that desert suddenly teem with life. Almost overnight, God sometimes works like that, doesn't he? His renewal of our lives, it happens quickly, it happens suddenly, it happens in ways you and I weren't expecting. Think of um, some of the great revivals in church history. Think of maybe seasons of amazing growth in your Christian life. Think of a camp or a move or some kind of new thing God did in your life that just opened you up to him in a new way. God often, God sometimes works like that, doesn't he? But it's not the only way. Can you see the second illustration? The psalmist says that renewal with God, it also comes like a harvest. It takes time. And our psalmist, he says something incredibly moving about this harvest. He says that the people who reap are the people who weep. The people who reap are the people who weep. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, that is the person who'll come back with shouts of joy. It's a really beautiful picture, isn't it? The psalmist, he knows from experience that Joy and tears, they go side by side in the Christian life. They are friends. They are twins in the life of believers. The psalmist knows there are lots of reasons in this world for Christians to cry. We cry when we suffer. We cry when we sin. We cry when we're sick. Christians cry when relationships break down, when they're hard. They cry for loved ones who don't know the Lord. They cry when 
beloved children die or never come. And God knows, God sees, God understands all of that. Elsewhere in the Psalms, we're told that God, well, what does God do with our tears? He, he stores them in a bottle. Every single one of our tears is precious to God. It's like perfume. You see, there's so many times um, when our Christian service, it just feels so weak, it feels so small. We feel like we're just sowing tears. Sometimes we wonder if we've achieved anything at all as Christians. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever think, am I a real Christian? Well, let me read you some words that I absolutely love. Um, In his uh, sermon, the Lord's work in the Lord's way. Listen to Francis Schaeffer. Listen to what he says. The more the Holy Spirit works, the more Christians will be used in battle. And the more they're used, the more there will be personal cost and tiredness. It is quite the opposite of what we might first think. People often cry out for the work of the Holy Spirit and yet forget when the Holy Spirit works, there is always tremendous cost to the people of God, weariness and tears and battles. The Holy Spirit is at work amongst God's people when all of those things, all of those feelings are happening. You know, I think being a Christian in Britain today, it's, it's to live in a day of small things, isn't it? It's to live in a time of really slow progress. And so just think of the Christian just dragging themselves to a church meeting in the middle of the week after a really hard week at work. Think of parents pointing their children to Jesus, just saying a really simple prayer at the end of the day. Think of the Christian who is reaching out to a colleague at work who's going through a really hard time. Think of the card that's sent to encourage somebody, the arm on the shoulder, the the verse that's just sent by text, hundreds of tiny things, and yet all of those things part of the sowing before the harvest. Friends, the imagery at the end, it's here to tell us this morning, none of your Christian service is ever in vain. Nothing you do for Jesus won't last into eternity. Some of the most joyful people that I know, they're people who've begun to think like this. People who've endured great suffering. Lots of us will know people like that. I read this psalm, I thought of a an elderly lady um, on the Isle of Skye. She was in the church that my dad was uh, the minister of for many years. The phrase, a breath of fresh air, was invented for a woman like that. She was one of those people that you heard before you saw. And Indenwegen on the Isle of Skye, her, her quite posh English accent, her 
infectious laugh. It echoed round the church building every week. We used to love, as boys, going to her uh, big old house, rambling house on Sundays for lunch. Her children had a free-range childhood. And the last time I saw her, she was exactly the same. Her hair that was blonde is white. She's endured a lot. Her husband died recently at a form of muscular dystrophy. Two of her adult children, two of her four adult children have the same condition. They were some of the healthiest, outdoorsy people you could ever imagine. But the muscles are wasting away. Life is hard. And yet she is so full of joy. And people like that are people who are waiting, aren't they? Suffering in life, it's just woken them up to the fact that the best is yet to come. And they long for renewal. They know that God's future, it will make up for all the disappointments in their life. And while people like that wait, they take great comfort from the truth that Jesus was a man of sorrows. See, the path laid out in Psalm 126, it's the path that Jesus walked, isn't it? Joy and pain, suffering and glory, weeping and rejoicing. These are things that Jesus has tasted in his humanity. Went to the spiritual wilderness. He went to the desert for you and me. He was thirsty on the cross. But the writer of Hebrews says it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured it. As he carried our sins on his shoulders, the Lord Jesus, he knew that he was redeeming a people. And the thought of being with his Father in heaven, the thought of that harvest, you are in that harvest this morning if you're a Christian. That thought filled Jesus with joy. He is the one who plunged right down into this world in all its sorrow. He wept, he suffered, he bled, he died to bring us to glory. One day we will see his scars. One day we will see his face. And it will be full of love. Full of love for you and me. Well, let's pray together.